Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we covered the parable of the prodigal son. And for those who are just joining us this week, we are doing the parables of Jesus. And the, prodig- the parable of the prodigal son was really about the great love of the father for the son, for the lost. And there was a section in there at the very end that we didn't cover. Because although we spent the time really on the relationship of the father and the son, the son to the father, there's also a third person, it is the brother. And I want to briefly spend a little bit of time on the brother because that really gives us the context for the parable today. You see, the brother was not happy that the father welcomed the son. In fact, it says this, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He was ticked off, to say the least. How could his father welcome home such a sinner and not only welcome home, but celebrate that the sinner had come home? How could he extend such mercy and grace upon that prodigal son? Now, you and I might, you know, tisk, tisk, tisk at the, uh, how the brother reacted to the, the son. But the problem is, you and I tend to be more like that brother than we'd like to admit. You know, we often want to be the ones who sit in judgment and decide who is worthy of mercy and grace. Not all the time, but we often sit in judgment who is worthy of mercy and grace. You see, it's that type of attitude that was actually the impetus for the three parables that come right in a row. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. These are three parables that come right in a row. And they really show the great love of the Father contrasted to our qualified love, if you will. In fact, this is the context for all three parables. It says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you and I have talked about uh, tax collectors before. Even in our day and age, nobody really likes tax collectors, right? You know, I know we're polite, but it was like, oh, tax collectors. But in that day, especially if you were a Jew who was a tax collector, you had sold your soul to the Romans. 
you were the scum of the earth. You were not to be trusted. One commentator put it this way, they were loathed in every way. Synagogues would not accept their alms. Their testimony was not received in Jewish courts. They were held to be worse than the heathen. This is why, by the way, it was so scandalous that Jesus actually ate with Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who had to climb the sycamore tree, right? To see Jesus, he ate with him. He was a Jew who was a chief tax collector. So in essence, he had other tax collectors reporting up to him. This is why it was so scandalous when Jesus picked Matthew to be a disciple because Matthew, a Jew, was a tax collector. They were hated. Now, it would be really easy to just go, look at all of those people, right? But who's the tax collector in your life? Because we all have tax collectors in our lives. Hey, it's election year, right? What about Democrats who support Biden? Are they your tax collector? Or what about Republicans who support Trump? Maybe they're your tax collector. What about uh, socialists, Marxist people versus the capitalist pigs? Which one of those groups are your tax collectors? What about the LGBTQ trans community? Or on the other side, maybe a group like Focus on the Family. What about those climate change activists that are throwing stuff on paintings or blocking the roads? Or what about those oil executives who are just destroying the planet because of profit? Right? We all have our tax collector. And we all kind of sit in judgment on who's worthy of mercy and grace. But it was really interesting in this context that they wanted, the sinners, the tax collectors, wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They were drawn in by what he had to say. He spoke to them on a level that they could understand. He drew them in. He wasn't just casting them out. And he would actually eat with them go to their homes and eat with him, just like he did with Zacchaeus. And the Pharisees, they weren't happy about that, right? It says, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Their conclusion was that because Jesus went to their home and ate with them, he approved of their sin. This is a false conclusion. Listen. Jesus didn't sit, he didn't eat with tax collectors because he wanted to seem inclusive, tolerant, or accepting. He ate with them, he spoke with them because they too needed to repent. They too needed to be saved. And why did he do everything he did? Because of the great love that he has for them. Look, God didn't send his son into the world. God didn't love the world. 
and send his son into the world because everybody was so nice and loving and didn't need to be saved. No, he sent his son into the world because everybody needed to be saved. This is the context for those three parables. And in the parable of the lost sheep today, we are going to see that God seeks the lost. It is God who carries the lost. And it is God who rejoices when the lost are found. So, let's go to the parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, just by a show of hands, has anybody been a sheep herder here? No? So you don't have a whole, uh, one, one, all right, one. Sorry, I'm sorry to hear that, you know. <laughs> I've been, I, I've worked with sheep, so, uh, and, and I continue to work with sheep. Maybe it was good training, I don't know. But um, sheep uh, aren't necessarily the brightest bulbs on the planet, you know. And I've got... Uh, for whatever reason, I've been showing videos during uh, this series on the parables. I have uh, some videos today. This, it's less than one minute. It's just three little short videos of the brilliance of sheep. Okay? So here we go. And uh, Jim, when I show this, you want to go just full screen just so people at home can see it too? The brilliance of sheep, right? The brilliance of sheep, not the brightest bulbs on the planet. And so sheep do wander. They get lost, they get hurt, and so it is the shepherd who must go out and rescue the sheep. Now, if you're thinking, well, I wouldn't want to rescue sheep if they're that dumb, let me put a different face on it, okay? What if you had a little puppy dressed as a sheep? All right. Now, if you had a little puppy dressed as a sheep, you would go out, you would find that puppy, you would go out even if it was raining, if it was snowing, it was cold, you would go out because that little puppy is valuable to you, right? Okay. The heart you have for the puppy and not the sheep is actually just a smidgen of the love that God has for you, for the lost, because he is truly the good shepherd. God is the shepherd who loves his sheep, even when they do stupid things, even when they wander, when they get lost, when they're in the trench, and when they are lost in sin. Isaiah says it this way, 
You've heard this one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. Each of us, whether we like to admit it or not, are like the sheep that goes right back in the ditch. So God seeks us out. God seeks out the lost. And here we're going to go to the Old Testament because you might think, well, this is just the New Testament, right? Jesus the shepherd. No, God is the shepherd throughout the Bible. That is one of the main metaphors you find, God as the shepherd. We go to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and 12. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Look, God is just not a passive shepherd. He is an active shepherd. He is actively searching out for the lost. And he goes out in the darkness to bring them back into his light. And he goes out into the world. And it wasn't just Israel. He goes out into the whole world seeking the lost. Verse 13 from Ezekiel says, And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And he goes out. He goes out to them, seeking them to bring them back into his promised land. And he does it not because the sheep are so good, but because he is good. He goes out because he is the good shepherd, and they, you, are his sheep. In Ezekiel, it says this, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the the weak. Isn't this exactly like Jesus, the good shepherd as well? Does he also not go out and gather the lost? It says this in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he seeks them throughout the world. John chapter 10 says this, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So he goes out seeking the lost. And why does he do all of this? Because of the great love that he has for the lost. You see, the, the, the three parables all in a row are really about the great great love of God, of Jesus, for the lost. 
It is in a magnitude so much higher than our love that we have. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one of his flock, are we not also to have a heart after his heart? And see, a hallmark of a mature Christian faith is to have a heart for the lost. That's a hallmark of a mature Christian faith, having that love for the lost. So it is God who goes out and seeks the lost, and then it is God who carries the lost. It says this, And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So, you know, I find it kind of interesting that uh, God doesn't say, all right, I found you, now follow me. Right? For, for the lost. I mean, Jesus does say, follow me, obviously. But for the lost, the sheep, the shepherd actually picks them up, puts them on his shoulders. They might be so confused, they don't know where to go. They wouldn't know how to get back home. They might be so tired and weary, they don't have the energy to follow. Or they might be hurt, and they can't follow. Or, <laughs> or they might just go back in the ditch, and the shepherd's trying to make sure they don't go back in the ditch. I still want to know how that sheep made it through the tire swing, you know, just like... But the shepherd has to, sorry, it's just, the shepherd has to go and really put that sheep on his shoulders to bring the sheep back home. And by the way, there's an illustration that has been used about, well, the shepherd would break the leg or legs of the sheep so it couldn't travel. There's no historical fact in that at all. You may have heard that as as an illustration. There's no historical fact in that. I think the sheep are stupid enough that the shepherd really does need to carry them back home, back home to safety. Now, I think you can see how we are all like that sheep, right? Especially the lost. The lost who are in the trench of sin, you know, and that one that was all muddy water. That's kind of like the lost who are in just drenched in the mud of sin. Or people who are lost are broken in some ways. Could be physically, but often it's emotionally, mentally, it's certainly spiritually. And it's God who comes and picks you up and puts you on his shoulders. You see, the only thing we we actually bring to this whole situation is our sin. That's it. But it is God who does everything for us. It is the shepherd who comes, who seeks us. It's the shepherd who bears the full weight of the lost. It is the shepherd who brings us home. It is God who does all of the work. You see, it is God, the Father, who sent His only Son into the world. It is Jesus who bore the weight of our sin on the cross. And it is now the Holy Spirit who actually comes to the lost to bring them to repentance, to bring them to faith 
in the Savior. In fact, Martin Luther, when he was uh, writing about the third part of the Apostles' Creed, which deals with the Holy Spirit, he put it this way, I believe that my, by my own reason or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and preserved me in the true faith. This is the work of God seeking you. And here's the thing. I have worked with physical sheep before. And it was younger. And I had some choice words for those sheep. I'm older now. I don't use those choice words anymore. But it isn't that our human reaction to chastise the sheep to rescue them, but to chastise them fully. Oh, but you see, the love of God is so much greater. For in this parable, and in matter of fact, all three parables, what does the Father do? What does God do? He rejoices. Our God rejoices when the lost are found. It says this, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. You see, God is not indifferent to the salvation of even one soul. It's not like there's just a spiritual bookkeeping that goes on, lost, saved, you know, one to another. That's not it at all. God cares for each and every person. For each and every one who is lost. He cares so deeply. He moved heaven and earth in that Jesus came to be with us. To die for us. To be resurrected He did all of that, that miracle, for your salvation and for His glory. That's what's going on here. So God is not indifferent. He is not indifferent to people who perish in sin. If we go to Ezekiel chapter 18, it says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And basically, he repeats that again in chapter 33. Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God actually weeps over the lost. And he rejoices over the found. That's the profound love that the Father has. In Zephaniah, you might not be as familiar with this, but Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. The shepherd saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. A couple of observations about that. 
Singing is a representation of God's joy. So we've got a couple other songs coming up. You could actually sing with joy. Would that be okay, Regina? Singing with joy, right? Rose, right? We sing with joy. In fact, it could be translated, He rejoices over you with a shout of joy. That's rejoicing. But I I like how one commentator put this whole section in Zephaniah. It says, Here we see God, the Father, is the one who holds his daughter Jerusalem and sings joyfully in her presence. Just as a loving parent cradles a child and sings out with love, so God's song over his people is born of his great love. After a time of hardship, our loving God dries his people's tears, comforts their hearts, and welcomes them to a new world. This is the joy, the love, the compassion of God. And if you take a look in Isaiah, talking about rejoicing as as Israel being the bride of Christ, we ourselves are the bride of Christ. It says this in Isaiah chapter 62, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God, you shall no more be termed forsaken. Isn't that something that the lost want to hear? You shall no more be termed forsaken. And your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your son marry you, so, as, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God rejoices, not just a little, but fully. And this is really hard for us to comprehend the joy of the Lord over the lost being found. Most of us are hoping we just kind of skate in under the wire in heaven, right? Like, whoa, I've done enough good things. I'm going to get it. I'll go around the side door so nobody notices that I really shouldn't be here. You know, that type of thing, right? There's that mentality. The Jews of the day could believe that God would redeem a sinner, but not rejoice that a sinner was saved. Here, there is full, full rejoicing. Remember what the father said to the prodigal son? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the celebration, the rejoicing that we also find here in the parable of the lost sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice! Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And this rejoicing is on a heavenly scale. Just so we understand the point, Jesus ended the parable this way, Just so I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So let's be clear. There's joy over the 99 in the flock already. But the flock is already safe. They're with the shepherd. They are secure. And there is joy in them already. But for someone who goes from death to life, life everlasting, there is joy throughout heaven. And the joy being expressed here isn't just the angels singing. It's just not the heavenly beings. But the joy emanates from God Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all rejoicing that that one soul is saved. That's the joy of the Lord that we're talking about. So it is God who seeks. It is God who carries the lost And it is God who rejoices when the lost are found. So today, if you are one of those sheep that are lost, that have strayed, know that Jesus is seeking you. He is seeking you this very moment. Call out to Him, and He will find you. And if you are the one of the 99 already, well, rejoice that you're one of the 99. And then... Grow in your faith such that you have a heart after Him. You have a heart for the lost. Amen? Amen.